Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. I want to know today, how did you wake up this morning? If you watched the game last night, uh, the game, if you're watching by months later, watching this online, the Razorbacks lost last night. And so if you watched the game, maybe you stayed up a little bit late, a little frustrated. Maybe you are a Duke fan and you're really excited about it and you had a hard time waking up. Maybe you used an alarm clock this morning. If you use a alarm clock device, whether it's your phone or alarm clock beside you to wake up most mornings, would you raise your hand? I'd like to see who's in the room. All right. Wow. Okay. Other times it's, uh, it's that external noise that wakes us up. Sometimes it's uh, internal. Uh, I basically wake up 90% of the time from an internal clock inside of me and can't go back to sleep. Sometimes it's a thunderclap. Sometimes it's a, a boom. Sometimes a storm moves in. I can remember a few years back, maybe about two years now, uh, there was a tornado that came through the area. And in our backyard, we had like four very mature, a couple of oaks. A couple of maple trees, and in the middle of the night, wake up and you hear this big boom, crash, bang outside. All of the trees in the backyard are completely gone, and this noise wakes you up in the midst of all of that. Sometimes it's this external uh, crisis moment that wakes us up. Uh, a study was done uh, and about a thousand people were asked in this study, how do you wake up? Uh, half the people said that that uh, they, they wake up because of their phones, their phone wakes them up. Another, one, one out of five people will say they wake up because of an internal alarm clock. Now here's a question for you. How do you wake up spiritually? You can sleep in your, in your own spirit. You can, you can be at a point of apathy. You can be at a point of distraction. There's a lot of things that can cause us to even sleep spiritually. How do you wake up spiritually? Uh, static, steady state, unconscious state, lying in a bed, and all of a sudden, again, these various alarms inside us, outside of us, outside uh, in nature wake us up. That static, steady state of unconsciousness. But then you wake up into a dynamic state of very much aware of what's going on. What is it that does that for you spiritually? I want to ask that question, and I want you to think about your own spiritual journey. Because all of us probably have an external experience, hopefully we have an external experience, where God steps into our story and he speaks to us. It was so exciting this past Thursday, this person is in the room, I'll not embarrass them or call them out, though it's not embarrassing, it's just exciting. This Thursday afternoon, it was so exciting to be in my office when one person, one lady who's just an incredible person who's going through a lot, but she expressed a desire to be in a relationship with Jesus. That is exciting. Would you give the Lord a round of applause for that? Calling people to himself. That is exciting. why we exist. And so it was so cool to see how she went from living a life of, of, of doing and sensing obligation and sensing it's based on what I'm trying to get myself to. And 
learning, it's not about trying, it's about trusting. It's not about what I do, it's about what Jesus did. In leaning in on that, in that spiritual awakening moment, I hope by all means that everyone in this room has had that. If you haven't, please do not exist any longer on planet earth until you have that relationship. If you don't know what that means and looks like, then come see me after the gathering and I want to talk to you about that. But then there are times when we go into our life and we're in this relationship with Jesus, but Apathy slips in. Distractions slip in. Uh, avoidance comes up on us. We get so busy with our own life that we need an, an internal alarm clock to wake us up. That internal alarm clock is the Spirit of God when he says, listen, I've got something better for you. You're not on my track. I need you to get on my track if you want to live the life that I have for you. And that's why we're in this whole series of trading up is the idea that we're moving from our way to God's way is a far better way for us to live. And hopefully there's an internal clock going off inside of all of us Say, hey, it's time to wake up. And then sometimes it's that clap, it's that bang, it's that boom. That wakes us up spiritually. I call it the thunderclap of injustice. Whether it's a political power leader, if you will, Putin's war, who all of a sudden decides to take his power and his seat of authority and use it to abuse it and use it to self-promote himself. And it, it can happen with any leader out there, whether it's a political leader or a business leader, but it's this injustice that, it, that, that comes out and it's just wrong and there's racial injustice and there's unborn life injustice. And there's, when you see the injustices of our world, you go, wait, 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 this is not right. There's got to be a better way. And I think one of the greatest injustices of our land is, is the gospel imbalance injustice, if you will. There's so much gospel opportunity to hear the gospel, to walk in the gospel, to, to, to know Jesus, to walk in Jesus in, in certain parts of the world. And yet there are other places in the world where there's not a Bible, there's not a Christian, there's not a church, there's not a missionary. They don't even have the access to the gospel. That's an imbalance in the gospel. And I think that's an injustice. There's lots of injustice that are out there that just have got to be made right Romans is not where we will be mainly focusing, but I do want to point out that there's a time when Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he calls the church to wake up. He calls the church to, to enter out of this lethargy, enter out of this steady state of, uh, uh, of static self, to enter out of this uh, unconscious self and enter into an awakening, and enter into a, a consciousness and enter into a, 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 a movement. And he calls us to come alive and to awaken. In Romans chapter 13, verse 11, it says, You know the time. The hour has come for you to awake from your sleep. He's saying this to the church. He's saying this to believers. That Listen, as believers, we can get in this steady state of apathy and, and, and lethargy and, 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 and stagnation that if we're not careful, we can live there and abide there for years on years and decades on decades. And God is saying through the lips of Paul, through the fingertips of Paul, listen, church, believers, it's time to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. What are we waking up to out of our apathy, out of our distractions, out of our misplaced values, out of our cold hearts toward God and the things of God? What are we waking up to? Well, you got to read everything in context. If you go to the verses just prior to this, 
In Romans chapter 13, verse 9 and 10, he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling the law. What we need to wake up to, what we need to see the connection to, he's calling us to wake up to what's going on in our neighbor's lives. He's calling us to wake up to to loving our neighbor, maybe like we've never loved our neighbor before. Now, don't just think of the geographical neighbor in your subdivision. Think of the people in your circles of influence that you work with, that you, that you interact with, that you went to high school with, that you still have contact with. Think about people much larger. And when I think about neighbors, I, I must think about it like this. It's, it's the people that I, that I interact with on my way that come into my, into my path as, they, as I'm going through life. They get in my way, on my way. That is my neighbor. And what am I going to do as I awaken to, to, to be more cognizant, to be more aware, to be more awakened, to be more uh, astute, and to even be active and not asleep any longer with my neighbor and loving them? What does that look like whenever Paul goes on to say in the following verses, he says this, uh, that the night is far gone, the day is at hand, let us walk properly as in the daytime. When you put all of that together, if I'm awakened to the needs of my neighbor, to the needs of the people in my way, on my way, if I'm awakened to that and I'm cognizant of that and I'm aware of the needs of that, that I am, I am now walking properly. The way that God would ask me to walk. The, again, moving from my ways to his way. Now this whole love thy neighbor thing, this is probably not the first time you've heard this. In fact, when you read through the scriptures, you're going to find eight different times from the book of Genesis to the, to the book of Revelations, eight different times. This is one of the most often repeated commandments. It's, it, it's used in four, Jesus himself uses it four different times in the gospels alone. So this is a very much loving our neighbor is something we got to put our arms around. So I come back to my definition of neighbor. You make your own definition up. Your neighbor is anyone who is in your way, on your way. As you're living out your life that God puts in your path, whether it be for a moment in time or it's for a season of life, how can I be awake to love that person next to me? Because so much of our life is about us. But if you're going to notice the Jesus way, and we're going to move from the my way to the Jesus way, you're going to notice a different paradigm he operates under. It's not just about him, and he's the king of kings, lord of lords. It should be about him. But he makes it about others. And he calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. How does he do this? There's, there's, there's emotions that go through us, it goes through us in life, and I, I, I did not even begin to try to count all of them, but somebody has counted them. I verified it from a couple of different sources. But there's about 34,000 different emotions that you might be able to feel combinations of emotions and things that, that you may be able to go through. Again, that blows my mind to think that there's that many. In fact, that you take that 34,000 and you can put them into about 27 different subgroups uh, of emotions that you can go through. When you read the Gospels and you look at the life of Jesus, you see two primary emotions. One is so clear. The other one, it might catch you off guard. The one that might catch you off guard is that Jesus is angry quite a bit. Okay, 
Now, I almost had a whole message I was going to preach on the anger of Jesus just so we'd understand what righteous anger looked like. And that may be another message another day. But the number one emotion that you will see in the life of Jesus is an emotion of compassion. Compassion is what flows through Jesus. It what motivates Jesus. It stirs in Jesus. So much of our emotions of the 34,000 that we can, that we can feel, we will feel based on ourselves. Compassion is an outward focused emotion. Okay, it's an outward focus. It's focusing on the other person. Most of our emotions of anger or fear or joy or happiness is very much an internal, it's about me emotion. But compassion is an outward focused emotion. It's when you see an injustice that you can't just go on with your life, even though your life may be warm, happy, and fed. You cannot just go on living the normal life because this is an injustice over here. You have to step into that. That's the Jesus way. But you go, okay, I'm going to be a part of the solution in this. Compassion is very outward focused. Compassion also takes action. In every single time that you will find the compassion narrative of Jesus, you will follow right behind it. You will find right behind that emotion. You'll find Jesus taking action with that. There's, there's, there's things that we do as a church, and you're going to get out hear a lot of them today, and I'm going to give you snapshots of them. But one of those is we're sending a team this summer to one of my favorite places on the planet, Wish I could go myself. Lori's going. There's other people going. We got room for about five more people if you're interested. And that's to Zambia, Africa. Well, we go and we work and we've been working with this New Day Orphanage for a number of years. And we work with them and we serve beside them. And there's 50 orphans that live there. They've lost their parents because of malaria. They've lost their parents because of dysentery. They've lost their parents because of all the third world diseases that come along. AIDS has killed so many of them. And they have no other family in this New Day orphanage is right in the middle of the bush of Africa, right in the middle of Zambia. And that's where 50 kids are making themselves at home. And we get to go love on them, serve them, be the hands and feet of Jesus to them. And if you're interested in that, quick commercial break, come see me. But here's, here's what you got to understand about compassion. It's not sympathy. Sympathy says, I... I, 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 I feel bad for you. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're going through. Uh, it's not empathy. Empathy is, I feel sorry with you. I've experienced similar things. Sympathy, maybe you haven't experienced it, but I, I feel sorry for you. Empathy is, I feel sorry with you. I'm going to emote with you. Paul talks about you weep with those who are weeping and you rejoice with those who are rejoicing. He literally calls us. That's okay. Sympathy's okay. Empathy's okay. Even, even better. But compassion is even more. Compassion is whenever we not only feel sorry for them, but we enter into their pain and we walk with them in their pain and we help them through the pain or the injustice that they're going through. It's kind of like the person who walks beside somebody who fell into a pit. Sympathy person looks down and says, I'm really sorry you're down there. The empathy person says, man, what does it feel like to be down there? I've been in a pit myself. I, 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 can, I can feel with you and I'm going to stay right here with you and we're going to just weep over this situation together. But a person of compassion will do all of that, but then will climb down into the pit with them and help get out of the pit with them. When you look at the life of Jesus and you say the two top emotions that Jesus is going to feel, one of those is anger and a lot of that's for the injustices of the world. And the second one is compassion. 
And if I'm going from my way to the Jesus way, I've got to do some kind of barometer check on the compassion of my life. And when you look at this, take your Bibles and find the book of Matthew. This is just one account of the many times that we see Jesus showing, not only just emoting, but showing and emoting compassion. Matthew chapter 9. You're going to find in this scenario where If we're going to have the compassion like Jesus does, compassion with action, okay? There's there's this this seeing element. There's this sensing element or feeling element. And then there's also, there's the seizing element. And I think you cannot truly have the compassion of Christ if you do not see, sense, and seize on the opportunities that God puts in your way. Again, how does he put people... The neighbors are the people who get in your way on your way, okay? You may not have time for it. You may not fully know them. You may, you may not even know them at all, but God puts them in your way on your way. That becomes your neighbor. That's your neighbor. How can I show compassion to my neighbor? I sense, I seize, I sense, I, 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 I see, I sense, and I seize upon that opportunity. Let's look at Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter nine. It says this in the last part of Matthew 9. It says, and Jesus went throughout through the, the cities in verse 35, cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. We just sang a song about God awaking us to the kingdom. Here it is, the gospel of the kingdom. Healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. We talk about trading up from my way to the Jesus way. It's awaken me from the sympathy and the empathy to compassion with action. How am I to to act upon the emotions that I'm feeling, to the injustices that I'm seeing? How am I supposed to be a part of the solution and not just criticizing all the world that's going on and going to hell in a handbasket around me? How am I seeing it? How am I feeling it? How am I to respond appropriately to that situation? Let's look at each of these. Number one, you sing. You got to see like Jesus. The very first thing that we see is Jesus saw. Seeing people around us, seeing the people in our way, on our way, is going to be so mission critical to this. Seeing was important, is important for the hawk. The hawk can see a dime uh, from, from the sky uh, and make out the dime from the, uh, the height of an Empire State Building. A kingfisher has eyes that can see in the dry, can dive into the water, and is able to open up its eyes underwater and able to see the fish under the water. Seeing is so mission critical. Soldiers put on night vision, infrared goggles at night to be able to have that competitive advantage against their enemy. The electron microscope enables a scientist to see something at the atomic level. The radio telescope enables astronomers to see as far out as to other galaxies beyond our galaxy. How do we see people? We see people differently. A retailer will see a 
person as someone to be sold. A doctor sees someone as someone to be healed. An artist sees someone to be painted. A writer sees someone as a subject of a storyline. A demographer sees someone as a strata in a society. A mortician sees someone to be interred. When you think about all the ways that we can see humanity, how does Jesus see humanity? Look with me carefully at verse 36. And Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because why? Why did he have compassion? Because what he was looking at was there were people that were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering through life aimlessly. They didn't have direction or path. They didn't have a sense of hope. They didn't have a sense. They were, they were so, in fact, I wrote in the margin of my Bible, these people are vulnerable people. The most vulnerable people are those that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Think about the vulnerable people in your world. What I would pray is that we would wake up, church. We would look out, world, church, and that we would learn to see people differently. So what Jesus calls us to in John chapter 4, whenever he said, you know the saying, four months between the planting and the harvest, but I say to you, wake up, look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The calling is first of all to wake up. We've got to step from our unconscious state, from our steady state, from our lackadaisical, apathetic state. We've got to wake up. When we wake up, then we look around. When we look around, what do we see? We see that right now we have friends, we have families, we have neighbors that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're waiting for the harvest. The harvest is waiting for us. I would pray that we would see people both near and far, nearsighted, farsighted. We both have very good depth of feel whenever we're seeing people, that we would see people deeper, first of all, on a deeper level, that not just the veneers and not just the social media posts and not just the, the polished photos that we want people to see us, our families all perfect and put together. But you must realize 32 years now in ministry that I don't get impressed by that surface level presentation because I have been behind closed doors in my office when up when that person comes in that makes the six figures and has the big titles and so forth and their marriage is falling apart, their life is falling apart and I've seen the same thing happen with a person who's in Africa who doesn't, who's harassed and helpless. They just may be wealthier but that doesn't mean they're not harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. There's a lot of us that have a veneer. St. Augustine of Hippo said it well in his book Confessions First book, first paragraph of his book, he said this, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Our, we can, you, can, you can make all the money in the world, have all the titles in the world, have all the accolades in the world. You can live at the highest uh, strata in this world, but the reality is that your heart will not have peace. And I got to realize this, everybody I come in contact, everyone you come in contact, every one of the neighbors who gets in your way, on your way, everyone you're going to interact with today does not have the peace of life until they have Jesus. And if we, if we live through life and we start seeing people at that depth perception, really deep inside their souls, they don't know Jesus, they don't know peace.
They don't know Jesus. They don't know love. They don't know Jesus. They don't know security. They don't know Jesus. They're, they're living in this world as harassed and helpless as sheep without a shepherd. I also hope that we would see broader, not just deeper, but we would see broader. Unapologetically, Grace Point Church has been about the nations and we are continuing to be about the nations. We do not just see our little close up circles of people that we would see beyond ours. We would see to the nations, to the ends of the earth. We would see the most vulnerable people. Our churches, again, I could not have designed it. I would not have, I did not master it this way, but God just began to lay on our heart refugees. And we're looking for ways that we, and you're going to hear about it in a little bit, ways that we can be a part of refugees right here in Northwest Arkansas, but also how we can be a part of refugees around the world. And this past Christmas, if you were a part of our Christmas offering, we talked about uh, helping in this, the, the human trafficking that's happening in the world. And we talked about Hagar Ministries. Well, let me just give you a quick update on that. Hagar's Ministries is a great ministry in conception mode. And we are still willing and want, wanting to work with, uh, with the founders, uh, George and Allison, but they are still much in the incubator mode of what it means that we have had to shift our focus. We're still focusing on human trafficking in Athens, Greece, where there's over 300 brothels, but we have found a ministry that actually George and Allison have worked with. That is a lot of the inspiration behind that. It's called, uh, Damaris Ministry. It's Damaris, uh, Community House. And they have been doing this for seven years. And we're going in and they've, listen, they've had 36 people, 32 girls, ladies come through that from 16 different countries and they zero their attention in on women who are pregnant, who had their children while they are being trafficked. Can you imagine that sense that they're carrying that child that came from that lifestyle? And Damaris Ministries is right there in the midst of that. Again, 22 ladies right now in their, in their cycle. Already some have come through that. One of the ones who's a part of that ministry right now was a former slave in the ISIS group. So it's very real. I want us to see not only deeper, I want us to see broader. And we'll continue to do that as a church. We gotta see the world, we gotta see the nations, we gotta see the, the peoples out there who do not know of Jesus. They're helpless and they're harassed, they're like sheep without a shepherd. But we also gotta sense, I pray that we will sense, we will feel like Jesus feels. I pray that we will sense, I was walking through Victoria Square where we have worked with in, in, in Athens, Greece. If you've ever been, uh, you've been with us there where there's just many, many refugees. I was walking through there my last day in Athens a few weeks ago, listening to a podcast of all things, just walking through, praying through the Victoria Square where all these refugees had lived and worked and, and just l- tried to exist from their, from their, uh, from their life that they had had before. And this one statement was made on the podcast. It says, the heart, it was a Brazilian proverb, the heart cannot taste what the eyes have not seen. The heart cannot taste what the eyes have not seen. Once you see the injustices, once you see the brokenness, once you see the world and all of its uh, helpless and and shattered and, and sheep without shepherd, once you see it, you should feel it. It should go into your very being. You should not be able to just go on. If you, if you can just go on and eat and go on and sleep and just go on with your life, then I ask you again, ask God to wake you up because there are people 
that don't have the same opportunities and justices that you have. Um, This word compassion that we are centering off of literally means the bowels inside of a person. So you could say it like this. You make my bowels move. You so disturb, this situation so disturbs me. The helplessness, the brokenness, the sheep without a shepherdness of the people so disturbs me. Literally, I'm sick at my stomach. That's the level and the depth of how far the pit in the stomach is not even descriptive enough. It's hurt and it's loss and it's injustice. It's, it's when people die needlessly on our streets or foolishly in our schools. That, that just drives us to, 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 to just, this is an injustice that something has got to be done. When, when we are not just saddened, but we are angered and we are angered and we are saddened when we see the injustices of our world. Not taking a political position, but just realizing that's not right. It's not the Jesus way. And it bothers me deeply. Abraham Lincoln said it like this. I feel sorry for the man who can't feel the whip when it is laid on another man's back. That is compassion. When you cannot go on with life as normal when you see injustices. Um, We have a ministry called Mosaic that started back in 2009. And it started in our church already. There was a movement of families in our church that were fostering and adopting Lori and I got literally blindsided. If I could, I can't take time to tell you the whole story, but we got blindsided in 2009 when we became under conviction because we didn't adopt a, a young African girl that we could have and should have. We didn't. In 2009, when we lived there, uh, back in, in the um, nine years prior, we should have adopted her. We didn't. And it was nine years later that we woke up we needed to do something. And we got on a, I got on a plane in a matter of days and went over to work at adopting her and complications that I don't have time to go into. But what happened is God used that awakening moment. It was a thunderclap moment in our lives that was already happening in the lives of several families in our church that were adopting and fostering families out. And it's still happening in our church today. It was a thunderclap moment that woke us up that something is, is not right and something's got to be made right. And out of that has birthed the ministry that we call Mosaic, which is where we literally see the broken pieces of people's lives and we want to put it back together as if it's art. We want to be a part of a person's redemptive story. In a couple of weeks, again, I'm going to give you lots of calls to action today. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have our Hope in WA Day. It's an opportunity for all of our families to get involved. Even if you're not fostering and adopting, you can be a part of. I I have a vision and a prayer and a desire that instead of children waiting for homes in Benton County, that there would be homes waiting for children. But then it leads to number three. It's not enough to see. It's not enough to sense. There has to be a seizing. 
a seizing, a, 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 a motivation of, again, I'm at this steady state of unconsciousness. I awaken. I start moving. There's dynamic. There's muscle movement. I now start standing. I start moving towards the problem. I start becoming a part of the solution. Kyle Eidemann said it like this. He said, real compassion doesn't just break your heart. It moves your muscles. Feelings of compassion are God's call to action. The, the way you know whether you, cho- uh, you chose compassion isn't by how you feel, but by what you do. What have you seen? What have you felt? What are you doing? There's a, a sociological phenomenon called the by, bystander effect that happens sometimes. And it's whenever... We look at first responders and we go, yes, yay, first responders. Thank you for being a first responder. But we're not a first responder. We're a concerned bystander. Again, bystander effect. Understand it. So when the bystander feels, empathizes, sympathizes with the situation, but doesn't see itself, that person doesn't see themselves as a part of the solution. They just are moved with empathy. Kevin Carter, a Pulitzer Prize winning photographer, probably is the best example I can give you. When he was taking a photo of a Sudanese child bent over in an African field dying of malnutrition with a vulture watching on. This photo won him a Pulitzer Prize. He waited for 20 minutes for this, this, this bird to raise its wings, to move closer, to get an even more captivating photo. Never happened. He takes the photo. He moves on to something else and, again, wins this prize. But the second question was, what did you do with the child? I didn't do anything. I took the photo and I got distracted Sad to say, Stephen Carter goes home and takes his life after winning the Pulitzer Prize because the guilt and the shame of realizing that he was a bystander when he could have been a solution, when he could have helped put down the camera, been a part of making a difference in a kid's life. When you look at the life of Jesus, you don't see Jesus as just looking, oh, you're, you're helpless and harassed and without a sheep, without a shepherd. No, no, no. He leans in on them. When they were hungry, he had compassion and he fed them. When they were a leper with a terminal skin disease, he healed them in Mark 1.41. When they were blind in Matthew 20, he gave them eyes that they could see again. It, whenever there was a grieving widow, she had already buried her husband. Now she's about to bury her son in Luke chapter 7. She, Jesus goes and brings the son back to life again. When there was a demon-possessed person, he didn't leave him demonized. He delivered him in Mark chapter 5 from the demonization. The compassion of Jesus, whenever he saw somebody in an aimless life, he gave them wisdom and direction so that they could live. See, compassion doesn't just move me. It moves me to action. When you look at the action that Jesus calls us to in verse 37, 
He says, then he said to his disciples, so after he's been emotionally churned up on the inside because of what he's seen and what he has felt, he now turns to his disciples in verse 37. He says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few. Therefore, here's your call to action. Pray earnestly. The Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. Jesus, first of all, calls them to prayer. Prayer precedes action. It should always. We talked about this last week. Prayer is not a last line of defense when all, when all the wheels are falling off the bus. Prayer is the first line of offense so that we can move the gospel in, so we can bring the kingdom of God in, so we can bring hope to the, to the hopeless, so we can bring peace to, the, to, to those in internal wars. That that's, that's, starts with prayer. It leads with prayer. He says, pray earnestly. I thought about what a, what a phrase, what a descriptor. It wasn't just pray, I pray. We talked about having a life of prayer or a prayer life last week. I'm not going to reshare that. But the point is, is that he didn't just call us to pray. He calls us to pray earnestly. Thinking, when, when, I've heard that verse before. I've heard another time when that verse was used. And I remember it yesterday afternoon. It was in James. It was in James when James talks about Elijah in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, pray for the righteous man. The prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. Now, unless you think, well, I'm not a righteous man or woman. I, I, can't, I can't pray like Elijah. Elijah was a man just like us. Nothing special, nothing unique. He put his sandal on one sandal at a time, just like all of us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth yielded its crop. We've asked you for preparing for Easter to pray before Easter. To pray regularly for, before Easter. To, again, the, the significance of that day, I'll save it till that day. If you don't understand the significance of that day, it's not just a religious holiday. Um, we ask you also to identify. Identify and invest in 217 names right now uh, is what you have submitted. And I will say that one of those has already received Christ this week. Isn't that awesome? Amen. Answer prayer. Number two, action follows prayer. I'd like it just to be in prayer closet, go on about my life, live my life my own way, do my, I said this last week, I say it again this week, you can do more than pray, but you cannot do more until you pray. But notice this, and I wrap it up. Whenever you say that, what did he tell him to pray? He said, he said, pray that the Lord would send out laborers into the harvest. <laughs> What's really funny about that is he says, I want you to go, disciples, apprentices of mine. I want you to be moved like I move. I want you to see what I've seen. Now I want you to go pray. And by the way, when you're praying, pray this, that God would send out people. Send out people. What they didn't know, what Jesus probably knew, is that he was going to send them out. But they needed to go pray about it first. It's really awesome whenever we become the answer to our own prayers because God works that way. Whenever we need peace in a relationship, what does he say? He says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the sons of God, Matthew chapter five. We become the peacemakers. 
Whenever, whenever he says, I want you to send out laborers into the field, then he says, oh, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And these ragtag, uneducated group of, uh, uh, of disciples of Jesus, you know what they did with that? They went and they prayed and they answered their own prayer. They became a part of the solution. Look at this map because this is where the disciples went. You find throughout church history, Joseph went as far as Great Britain. Thomas went as far as, uh, as India. To this day, there are Christians in India that trace their lineage back to the apostle Thomas. Matthias and Matthew made themselves the, the way down to southern Egypt. Uh, Andrew made it up around the Black Sea uh, through modern-day Ukraine, all the way back down into Macedonia. You see, the disciples first prayed, but they did more than pray. They became the answer to their prayers. As you're praying, God, help me to see as you see. Help me to sense, feel as you feel. Help me to respond as you respond. Help me to be a part of the solution. You may be here today, and I want to start with, with one, one segment of the group in this room today or watching online today. How does Jesus see you? Are you helpless? You probably wouldn't call yourself that. But if you look inside your soul, do you, are you like a sheep without a shepherd? The very first thing you need to realize is that Jesus loves you, compassionately loves you, pursues you, calls you to himself, embraces you as his own, wants to save you, make you his child. Just like that lady did this past week in my office. Before you leave here today, if you do not know Jesus, give yourself to following him. If you don't know what that means and looks like, you can see me. I'll be hanging out in the Welcome Center. But maybe some of you in this room today, you've had neighbors in your way, on your way, and it's time to respond. It's time to be a part of their story of redemption, trying to bring justice to their injustice. Let's not just see it. Let's not just feel it. Let's respond to it. Bow your heads with me. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to just get real still inside yourself. And I want you to ask Jesus this question, the Holy Spirit this question. Jesus, is there anybody, is there any injustice, is there anybody in my life right now that I need to go and show compassion to? Compassion with action. If that name pops up, that face pops up, that scenario pops up, my only challenge to you is pray and then act. Don't act and then pray. Pray and then act. And if God continues to press on your heart on that injustice, that person, that situation, then act. Whatever that means. Father, you called us to be like you. You said that we would be like our teacher. You are our teacher. You showed us what compassion looked like. You're calling us to that same compassion of seeing, sensing, 
and seizing on those opportunities. Even when people get in our way, on our way, God, help us to see as you see, feel as you feel, act as you act. Father, right here, right now, if there's anybody in this room that does not know you, that is one of those harassed, vulnerable persons in their soul that does not know you as a sheep without a shepherd, I pray right now they would give themselves to knowing you and walk in the joy and the peace and the satisfaction of being in a relationship with you. God, help us now in this, in this space. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and worship with us? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Scent.